Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. I'm joined on the podcast today um, with my friends Jen and Josh Rollins. Welcome to the podcast. Hello. Thanks for having us, Richard. Um, Jen and Josh Rollins are someone I've been familiar with for a while. They're an LDS family um, of five well, five kids, so that makes an LDS family of seven. They live mm-hmm. in Salt Lake County in Riverton, if you're familiar with Utah. They have three LGBTQ kids, and they've been on this road for about five years since their son Aiden came out as gay while Josh was serving as an LDS bishop. And um, I just felt impressed to reach out to them and ask them to be on the podcast And our joint prayer is that if you're new to this space, if you're a parent or a local leader, or even if you're LGBTQ, the things that Jen and Josh um, will share with you will be helpful for your journey. They've shared their journey on Lift and Love in an Instagram post back in April of 2021. We'll link to that. And we'll also link to a recent January 2024 Leading Saints and you can tell a difference between um, those two stories three years apart, just in their family story. And they'll talk about that during the podcast. Um, Jen currently serves in her ward. I think you're the activities leader for your ward, the activities chair. And Josh is a gospel doctrine teacher. Um, And they're just really thoughtful LDS couple, but also dealing with going kind of from the perfect mold where their LDS family, them and their kids fit in really well to you know, having a very different family. Um, and that's really helpful for all of us to build understanding, empathy, and perspective for parents raising LGBTQ kids. Um, is that okay for an introduction? That sounds great. Um, just a little bit of an overview. Um, there are five kids. Um, the oldest is Jace. Um, they're going to share his story as, a tra- as their transgender son. Their next um, child is Chelsea. She is bisexual. Uh, their third son is Aiden. He's gay. Aiden's of, and those are the three of the five that are in the LGBTQ world. Aiden came out first about five years ago. And so if you've got a trans kid, if you've got a bisexual kid, if you've got a gay kid, or if you're just trying to learn about the space, um, I think the totality of the story and the uniqueness of the story might help you. So with that, maybe we can start way back to when everything, wherever you want to start, you could start, you could start pre-Aiden um, and kind of sensing something was up, or you can go back to just, you know, you've got these five kids that fit the mold, wherever you want to start. And just a note, they've been, they're celebrating their 28th, 26th anniversary this year. So um, you've been together a long time. Yeah, that's pretty incredible within itself. I don't <laughs> feel like I can say that, but it's pretty awesome to be able to say that. Um, I guess uh, starting, you know, it, it, just like what you said, we kind of felt like <laughs> from the beginning when I met Jenny, I was like, wow, you know, this is the one. And then from there, you know, things just bloom out and you have a vision of what life will be with this person, this significant other. And then you imagine as each child comes in and at least this is me, I I guess I can only speak for me that 
I imagine what their life would turn into, you know, as they grew and, and as we all grow and you, I just imagined this life. And so when each of our kids kind of gave us, gave us indicators all growing up, but we didn't really pay real close attention. We just thought, oh, this is normal. Um, and then when Aiden got to what, 12, when he came out to us as bisexual. Yeah. Yeah. So it's about 12. And then, so that was just privately. And we looked at, at things and we're like, well, yeah, we'll, we'll work through this. We'll, and we'll figure it out together. And, uh, and as things went along, I just thought, you know, everything's going to be okay. We'll, we'll work it out. And it just thing, it just seems like life gets more and more complicated, (laughs) (laughs) a bigger and bigger puzzle to figure out. Well, and I think part of that whole picture was we start at such a early stage, you know, even before the child, it comes into existence at all. Um, you know, we have these ideas and we're so excited, you know, many couples, not everybody, but wants to find out the gender and we just run with it. You know, our first is, oh, it's a girl. And we start planning all these things and um, all of you get the dolls, you get the the pink, even though with our first, I, I just didn't like pink and purple. So we did blue and green. Maybe I was sensing something was going to be different about <laughs> this child. Um, and, you know, we just kind of go along with the things that we're taught in a cisgender, heteronormative society. And, you know, these babies come and the the first priesthood ordinance, the rite of passage that's given them is a name and a blessing. And all of these wonderful declarations are made for this child. And, you know, we pray that you will find a man righteous priesthood holder and marry in the temple and have your posterity and all of these expectations and we start running with it you know starting with primary and we're having helping them learn the articles of faith and uh all of the songs and the programs and the plan and and this is just what we do and and there's this guarantee and even my patriarchal blessing, I was pretty arrogant because there was a sentence that said, your children will never stray from the things you taught them in their youth regarding the gospel, saying if you you bring your children up in the light of the gospel in your home, they will never stray. And I took that so literally, like, well, my kids aren't going anywhere. They are going to, we're all going together celestial kingdom here we come you know and so there were so many expectations and um this box that we just didn't realize how much bigger the box was going to get yeah and then jace at the time was jessica and i she was my sidekick she was always helping me fix a car or work on something on the house and she wanted to ride motorcycles and her first big uh purchase goal was a four-wheeler and so we're like hey we'll help you so i just we i loved it it was she was my little sidekick uh but i think it's a little different for girls to be tomboys tomboys. and 
it's a little more accepted in society and never thought anything of it. Yeah. Until later. Yeah. They're like, wow, yeah, it kind of fits. I yeah, with with Jessica, now Jason, we only use Jessica as a reference point. We are very cognizant of Jace's preferred name and pronoun. And we're only saying Jessica's context so people can keep the story straight and who we're talking about and the transition that occurred. So with with when Jessica um, you know, wanted to wear the boy clothes, every single Halloween costume, because I'm going back in time and, and looking. I'm like, well, of course, this makes so much sense. Every Halloween costume was male oriented. It um and realizing that Jace did struggle from a very, very early age, the age of four, having these thoughts, but never had any kind of construct where to put these thoughts. They were just thoughts. And he would log them away and was a true people pleaser, always wanted to do the right thing, always perfect. Jace set the bar really, really high for our family to where we thought our other children might be broken because he was perfect i mean really didn't swear didn't gossip about people wanted to do everything right and was just kind of a mini parent which the siblings did not care for at all but and part of all of that was who he came to earth as but there was a degree of making a deal with god you know trying to sort through these conflicting feelings and the path that he was supposed to pursue as a woman and it just didn't seem to fit all of the roles and the responsibilities of having children and um doing everything that was that we taught that we kind of drilled into all of our kids that this is the path you're on and yeah, yeah. so so jace definitely displayed a lot of masculine qualities as Entering adolescence, I particularly put some pressure, like, you know, maybe we should try to do your hair and do some makeup. And, you know, you're not going to get asked to the dances at school if you don't look more feminine and not realizing how possibly just, detrimental that was. But just that's just help. what, you know, just it's like, I need, I need to help my child. Just, but and then that just continued to stuff down these feelings and hoping they would go away. And then, you know, well, maybe a mission will help sort through all of this stuff. And um, it just, it just continued to persist. So yeah, looking, looking at Jace, there are definitely some signs, but Aiden, he goes back to about two years old where um, started dressing in dresses and we thought oh it's because he has older sisters but even though jace didn't dress feminine so i'm like yeah that's kind of 50 50 we're not sure but that phase of dress up lasted a little longer than we had chelsea, expected chelsea was a princess yeah chelsea She's was definitely a princess. very girly and um so with aiden we did notice some feminine presenting qualities maybe in the back of my mind at some point, you know, when he was in kindergarten, he told me, mom, I want to marry Justin Bieber. I'm like, well, 
hmm, cute. Maybe because the girls he's saying, and that should have been an indication too, because he's only playing with girls at recess, which is cool. I mean, or he was just smart. I want to be where the girls are. <laughs> I don't know. I think it was more because he had more in common with them. So when he told me that, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking, well, how do I approach this? And it was one of those mom moments, like, okay, remember this, remember this conversation. This is going to come up later. But in the moment, of course, I go back to, well, if you do that, you won't be able to go on a mission. (laughs) I mean, there's so many things that I just like, oh, you know, you, I don't know, maybe. I do it over. <laughs> yeah, rewind. But you know, again, that was just what that's where we were at the time. And um it wasn't too many years earlier. What was the bill? It wasn't prop eight, because that was California. Was it 22? Prop 22. I had a sign out in my yard, you know, that fought against gay marriage and you know i i told the line there as well just um it was one of those things where we didn't really quite understand it we thought it was this challenge and likened it a lot to oh well you know some people have this particular disability or this particular um or illness choice yeah and and it'll, they'll get fixed you know so that's just of our whole mindset at the time so definitely. Um, so we've come a long way. Yeah, <laughs> which we'll get to. But so, yeah, kind of maybe now fast forwarding a little bit to when Josh was called as bishop. We still um, I was just barely getting into. Um, I think we had talked about this in in our little chat before, but I was prompted to start looking into LGBTQ stories. And I didn't think that had to do with my kids. I thought maybe a niece or a nephew or someone else close to me, I would need to start learning. Um, As a matter of fact, I remember Aiden saw me reading um, that that they may be one by Tom Christofferson. And he just sat there and stared at it. And he looked over at me. He says, are you reading that because you think I'm gay? (laughs) I said, no, no one. I, I just... I feel like I should be reading this. So already he was kind of defensive and recoiling just at the idea of me studying about it. So, so take it away, Josh, as Bishop. Well, uh, so in two, what, 2015, Mm -hmm. um, much to all of our surprise, uh, I was called to be Bishop and, uh, that was a, a real struggle a real challenge for our family and, and, but also really rewarding, a lot of growth <laughs> for everyone. And, um, I, 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 I've questioned whether to share this, but I, I will, cause it's honest. Um, I, I don't want to come across as thinking arrogantly, but apparently I was, <laughs> I was thinking, wow, we're we're really doing good. You know, I've been called as bishop and uh, just thought, you know, everything's going good. And I looked back at other bishops and I 
remembered that, at least from my experience, that there have been some real troubles either for the bishop or a member of the family or the whole family. And I remember looking at our family, just, I think we're like a year into it. I'm going, wow, am I going to dodge that bullet? It's honest. Am I going to be a bishop in a bishop family that comes out of this even better than before? And uh, that was just really arrogant and naive. (laughs) And um, not to think that, you know, what we've been through is horrible and, and horrific and I and I would change anything. Um it's been hard, but the growth uh, I feel like uh my ability to love the the bandwidth, the spectrum has been opened up and I've been um given more knowledge and light than I thought before than I had before with love and acceptance and in a real, I believe a real view of what our heavenly father has for his children. I mean, I thought I had it when our kids were born, you know, our parents tell us, uh, I love you. And you just won't understand until you have your own kids. Well, that, I believe that's absolutely true is when my kids came in, it was, I thought I knew love because I fell in love with Jenny, but it's something different when your kids come along. There's just, there's a different bandwidth. There's just a different frequency and it's greater and it's broader and it's wonderful. And now I would say since I've, we our family has become more dynamic and part of the LGBTQ. I feel that that bandwidth is is kicked up even more with that bandwidth of love and that frequency of love. Um, I feel like a lot of things have been getting served up to us in the last five to seven years, just in growth. And I can't say it's all roses and this wonderful easy path because it's not it's it's challenging and difficult at times because again going back to that uh idea of my family and where we're headed and what jenny's referenced that we're celestial bound we just we don't fit that anymore at least the way that the our church describes it and and sets the parameters on and that that's really hard it's really hard for me to and i love the word wrestle uh you've mentioned it richard and i i really res that really resonates with me because it's an engagement it's uh it's something that i feel like it's it's almost a daily thing. It just uh, as we're trying to sift through, you know, thoughts and feelings of what I thought I knew for sure before. I it's almost as though the more 
well, it's that saying, the more you know, the more you realize you don't know. And uh, it's just put me into a, a space of a free fall. And I, I shared this in a, in a talk recently um, that I gave in church that uh, even though this is a hard walk and I often feel like I'm walking in the dark, I trust who I'm walking with. And I continue to take those steps and it's, uh, it's a walk of faith. And it's not a blind faith because I, I trust my heavenly parents and I trust my savior. But it is a, it is one that I don't know every step ahead of me. And it's, it can be really difficult because I, I don't know what it looks like, but I've, I've received feelings of comfort that things are going to be okay. And uh, I, I just, I cleave onto that. I uh, grip it with both hands and hang on the best that I can. And uh, even though at times it's extremely hard, I still receive that comfort. And I believe that's from my Heavenly Father and from my Savior. And uh, I really wish I, I'm not a major planner, but I'd like to know a few steps ahead. <laughs> Sometimes this this wrestle or this walk or whatever you want to call it is is hard when you don't know what's just a few steps ahead. So, yeah. So if we were to go back though, when he in his first couple of years as bishop, I think it was maybe about two and a half years in when you know Aiden came out and in Josh's defense he was so thinly spread at the time he didn't have the flexibility that I had to do a lot of reading and studying and meeting up with people and making those connections so I had a pretty broad base of people and resources well, in this were, whole community and you were spearheading it you were inspired to really dig into this stuff and yeah, I would, I would definitely say that. Um, I think the Lord was walking with me long before we were even aware of what was going to be coming. And so I, I really honor that. Um, and I'm glad I listened because I feel like I was in a place um, to create this landing spot that was safe for my kids. And I know that doesn't happen a lot of the time. And there can be a lot of harmful things. Not that we did things perfectly either. No. There was a lot of things we learned, but I'm glad that there was a space opened. And so while Josh was um, leading the ward and focusing so much energy on that, I felt like I was primarily responsible for the home front. And he just didn't have that that luxury. I mean, is any part of Bishop a luxury? No, but it's... He, he just couldn't do it. He had too many other issues he was facing. And so that was another difficult aspect um, 
and you know, not all spouses are going to be on the same page, regardless of whatever their callings are or aren't. Um, but it created some tension for us as well, because I felt very strongly that Aiden needed a pass. He needed to step away from the church because I saw how much it was hurting him. And, you know, he went from being Eagle Scout and Deacon's Quorum president and, and being, he's just a natural born leader. And he was doing everything. He was excited to go to the temple and, and do baptisms. And, but I just saw this pain inside of him and things got really dark and he had a lot of suicidal ideation to where, you know, one day after school, he said he just stared at the razor blades. And I know this is probably hard for some listeners to hear because they've been there themselves and they'd suffer a great loss, but this is very real. Um, the pain that these LGBTQ people go through, especially if they're part of a high demand Orthodox religion, it can be just too much for them. And I saw that and I thought, well, I would definitely rather have a gay, thriving, healthy son than a dead son who thought it would be better to move on from this life so he could start working on this brokenness inside of him. And we hear that far too often. And I, I'm just grateful that we were able to steer that ship in a different direction and help him gain a greater sense of his, his authenticity. So a lot. Well, just, just as, uh, and I didn't know this at the time as uh, me, me as Bishop, I'm like, um, more church, the better as a teenager. <laughs> holy cow. We, we need to help them every day, every, every day as much as we can. Yeah. Um, and then when seminary came along and stuff, but I, what I think, uh, I learned there and, and among many things was uh, it, there, it's not the same prescription for everyone. It's like, a, it was hard for me to surrender, to let, to be like, uh, Aiden's not coming to church today because it's too painful because he's having to translate too much of the messages to make it okay. It was just getting to be really really damaging and that was hard for me to accept at first but i came to recognize that yeah he's he's getting beat up pretty bad and and then we had to translate that to our other kids <laughs> that were still going to church which still to this day is to <laughs> wrestle well why doesn't aiden have to go well you know why does it go? <laughs> so it's uh it's just come to to recognize that what works for one person may not work for another, and that we each have a a path that is is customized to to our strengths and our weaknesses. And and that's how I think you know everything is gonna what it's gonna come down to anyway. We're we're not going to be compared to others, and that's a conversation we have to have often in our family and um we need to be true and authentic to ourselves and do the best we can do the with best that. we can yeah yeah be careful with people around us don't 
try to be courteous and kind and not step on toes and as best we can. Yeah. This is just sacred ground listeners. Um, You're doing such a great job and you're so honest and vulnerable and courageous and um, it's really moving. It's just sacred ground. I know you've got more to your story to share, but I've got a few questions and I, um, I love you. You know, Aiden's not on the podcast and sometimes it's hard for Latter-day Saints to understand what's painful about church. Um, and there may be seminary teachers listening or local leaders that have a gay kid in the ward in the young men's, young women's, and they want to just not create pain. And maybe it's our doctrine that creates pain because there's no path to fully participate in the church in a pattern, which obviously a local leader can't change. But I don't know if you want to talk more about just recognizing that church is painful for Aiden and sort of recognizing this is leading to suicidal and it's better for him to not participate. Sure. I, it's uh, something I wrestled with. Is it, That's the question I had as Bishop and, you know, and spearhead that one. Well, you know, and you can also speak to when you were put in charge of the young men, you know, during your tenure as Bishop and, and all the things that, you're supposed to teach these young men. It's prepare, prepare now to serve your mission. And when you come home, you're going to find a good woman and you're going to get married in the temple. And that's wash, rinse, repeat. I mean, week after week, that's what is being taught. And I mean, I don't know. I don't know how to tell anyone to do things different. It, it's like, those are all good things. Missions are wonderful things, you know, building the kingdom and gathering Israel. And um, they're good for our son, Aiden. It was not good. Serving a mission would not have been good for him. And so when you already feel like, well, I'm already broken to begin with. I At 14, I'm not. How am I going to make a mission work? You know, I'm going to be living in the same space as the gender that I'm attracted to, you know, he just couldn't reconcile that. And definitely I'm, well, I'm not going to marry a woman. It'd be on. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so this is the first stepping stone. And, and if I am going to be openly gay, then I can't go do baptisms either because at the time acting on homosexuality, what does that mean? If I hold someone's hand, if I hug them, you know, I think some things, the wording has changed to be a little bit more clear as far as the law of chastity applies to everyone. But back then, we still had the original, well, not the original, I'm sure there have been different versions, but still kind of some more harsh language where our queer members, they don't see themselves in so many facets of, of this mold. The proclamation, you know, the family, let's, let's memorize that. And that is once again i don't it's nothing to find fault with it's simply this doesn't speak to yeah. some people and it just they're wasn't very hard fitting aiden's future and he was having to translate and i was i was working with him at the time just saying when you hear that you're to marry a woman just imagine your significant other because from from the start i think uh, Jenny and I were like not thinking that 
any of our kids were going to be celibate and alone. And so that as much as we mean to each other and how I found my significant other, that's a dream I never let go of is that my kids would find their significant other. And so I was working with Aiden and just saying, translate that son. Can you, can you just go to church and translate that into your significant other? And, but it's still that we will be able to get sealed in the temple and then go to father and have exaltation as man and woman. And that, that, that doesn't trend. It doesn't translate at that point. And it was just, it was just constantly having uh, this conversation and working that we, Jenny knew it from the start, but I slowly started to recognize that this is, this is hurting him. This is, this is translating into God doesn't love me because he didn't make a place for me. And I, we had to work through all that. And so that's what, what was the hard, painful part at church. It wasn't that God loves me and I'm a child of him. And he has a plan. He has a me. plan for me. It was the, yeah, only those that are married to a man and a woman and are sealed in the temple will be with me. But I've created a nice house for you guys too. You know, and, and trying to translate that, it was, that was the, the difficult part. And I think, uh, you know, we're still wrestling with that one. Right? Yeah. It's, that's really hard. That's the part that's where we're still walking in the dark. That's really but, helpful. I mean, that's really helpful and really honest. And you may have something to add to that, Jen, Jenny or Jen. I think you go by both. I've been calling you. He both. called me Jenny. Yeah. <laughs> and I wish you could all see this couple. Um, I wish these were videos sometimes because you can just tell you love each other. You're leaning into each other. You're making sure you're not talking over each other. You're very much. You know, your journey's a little different. You're very much aligned and you love for your kids and wanting to do the right thing um, and the gospel. So I just sense that's a beautiful part of your family story. Um, uh, you may have some things to add on Aiden and you could still do that, Jen, but I go back to Jace a little bit because tell a little bit about um, Jace's story. Um, I think Jace came out first as gay or by, um, and then trans. Yeah. And so talk, if someone's new, you know, one's about sexual orientation, one's about gender identity. And there are some stories where, you know, we've done some people that as they're figuring out their place in the queer umbrella, they do go from recognizing they're not straight to also recognizing gender dysphoria as part of this. And I've tried to give grace listeners saying, not kind of roll my eyes and go, oh, here we go through it again. We're just keep moving around, but give grace that somebody it's going to have a bit of a journey to figure out where they are. Um, that's kind of a theory, you know, that's kind of a general idea, but you've got a sort of a real life situation with Jace, not a situation in a negative way, but just an ongoing journey within the queer umbrella. So you could still talk about Aiden if you want to, or you could talk about Jace. We can move on to Jace because I think there are some crossovers, um, just a little bit more delayed with Jace because he was really convinced that a mission would change everything. So as we said, you know, Jace growing up, tomboy, 
categorically that we even gave so Jessica, just again for context, we gave Jessica the name of Cody for a little while. I don't know why we thought just because she would wear the football jerseys and ride around her four-wheeler and um yeah, I, I don't know. And but she wanted a tool belt for Christmas. Yeah. And I loved it. I got her. <laughs> yeah, never played with dolls. It was always cars and and so again, going into adolescence, encouraged to present a little bit more feminine and beautiful, you know, a really, really beautiful woman. Um, and then serves a mission and is just this bright ray of sunshine and um is doing really well. But two weeks in well, before th- that, there were dark days. Oh, yeah. There were dark days, yeah. and you were That's picking really- up on it. Uh, throughout her junior high and high school experience, there were just days where Jace would go into uh, this this dark place and really struggle and recoil from the bright personality that that he is. And um, you you recognized that that was there was something going on. Yeah. And so the closer Jace's mission came, um, there was just, I just had a feeling to ask. He said, I really sense you're dealing with same sex attraction. Is that what's going on? And at that point, um, when I asked that, Aiden had already come out to the family, but wasn't public yet. And so um, I had hoped that. Jace would be able to see that we are a safe place, but no, 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 mom. I I can see why you might think that, but I assure you that is not what's going on. I'm just really anxious about the mission. I'm, you know, worried about being away from home, you know? So I was fairly convinced. I'm like, okay, well, about 10 days before um, Jace was supposed to report to the mission home, again, just very distant um disconnected and i just thought once more i said i need to ask again are you dealing with same-sex attraction and you don't know how to make this work no mom i'm good i'm just nervous okay (laughs) back of my mind i'm like you know this is my child's story and i don't want to push anything but it is just this oh it's just nagging me and um so then jay's gets through the MTC, goes to uh, California. And two weeks into the mission field, writes an email home to me. Like, well, mom, you had me pegged. So mind you, this Aiden had just come out two weeks prior publicly. I let Jace know. And then Jace emails me two weeks later, mom, I am dealing with same-sex attraction, but only called it that. Um, Didn't want to use the word gay or even bisexual. Wanted it to be more of something that I struggle with. And so I honored that language, especially while serving the mission. We thought, you know what, we want to give this voice and not just stifle it, but not pay too much, you know, pay it more attention that needs to. Well, then enter COVID. And because Jace was in California, everything was shut down. And they were 
just sequestered in their apartments. And for four months, they couldn't go out and talk and work. And that proved to be extremely detrimental because um, you couldn't escape. You couldn't lose yourself in the work. And progressively, Jace got worse and worse with depression and anxiety. And I, I had a really nagging sense that my child is not doing well out there. And dare I suggest, maybe it's time to come home. And I knew, I knew this particular child would set us straight. You know, it's like, nope, I'm finished in, which is exactly what happened. You know, it's like, mom, no, I'm not a quitter. I am not coming home. And I said, okay, well, do me a favor. I, that was my first waking thought this morning is to ask you that knowing we were going to be talking today. Would you just fast and pray about it? And and let me know maybe by the end of the week what you think. And and Jay says, well, yeah, I'll do it. But I'm, I know it's going to be to stay out. Well, by the end of the week, the next phone call, mom, I'm coming home. Mm-hmm. I have received revelation that I have served a full and honorable mission and it's time to come home. So we got him home and I didn't know how how dark things had gotten. It was just this feeling I had had, but then the more time Jace is back home with us, the more comes out that um, very, very suicidal, uh, sitting on the floor of the shower, wondering how to end it. Wow. So I'm really glad once again that I followed that intuition. Yeah. And um, I know sometimes people can a little bit harsh in that you you helped your kid quit you know and I'm like well that's okay if that's the way you see it but I felt something different and I I did I, I might have been a little abras- abrasive with getting this kid home <laughs> I'm kind of calling the shots and Josh is still serving as bishop and there were some phone calls that were made about you know what's going on with your wife why is she <laughs> my god I'm not mad I just have a sense of urgency I, I just really want to get this kid home back into my arms you know and um so that was just all really hard it's hard to navigate that I know we're getting so much better as a church in the culture about um, missionaries who come home earlier than they expected and so many resources to deal with the anxiety, depression, and when it's just not a good fit. So I'm really, really glad that we're having more conversations. But once again, it's that, ooh, we got a kid out on a mission. Okay, we're doing good. And as the bishop's kid came home early, oh no. And, you know, so weighing through all of that, but ultimately the most important thing was that our kid made it and survived and then worked on thriving again. Well, and when we found out how much she at the time uh, had struggled, that was a very alarming, yeah. you know, to find out. So she gets home and is figuring out dating and all that kind of stuff. And then is going back into some dark, days and dark uh, moods, panic attacks. And then it was you that made the suggestion. So once again, (laughs) you know, it's not what 
current church doctrine teaches. But I said, just, I really think you should just go date girls. <laughs> Let's skip all of this trying to find guys at the singles ward. I, I just, I feel like, Let's just rip the Band-Aid off and why prolong this any longer? <laughs> and the relief just looked at me. Are you serious? Mom, I can do that? Hey, you can do whatever you want. It's agency. I can't promise you what's going to happen. But for right now, I feel like the idea of, I think that's what's causing so much panic is how you're going to make your patriarchal blessing come to fruition. You know, because that was the next step is I got to find a guy. I got to marry him in the temple and have a litter of kids. And, you know, that was just, it was just creating so much angst. And then, so Jace, Jess, started Jess, dating Jess, Jessica. Yeah. Dated girls, came out, yes, I am gay. I am not bisexual. And within about a year, started presenting more masculine. Again intuition speaks to me okay Jess are you are you transitioning do you feel like you are non-binary or perhaps even trans no mom I'm just experimenting with some things you know see how it feels the more masculine the looks became you know stopped shaving legs stopped um wearing more feminine clothes stopped wearing makeup took the jewelry off there was more and more light coming back into yeah. our child. And, oh, you know, we're documenting this and had stepped away from the church, um, was not attending at all. And so it was probably about a year and a half ago that Jess said, hey, I am, I am trans. I've finally found the language. I have finally allowed myself to explore and assign meaning to all of these feelings that I've been having. I didn't have the vocabulary. I didn't even know this was a possibility for me, a member of this church who has a plan that is supposed to be followed. And, and so now we have another son we have three sons and two daughters and jace is um has been taking testosterone for about a year and a half and is living he's doing great yeah and is really doing well is happy and thriving and is just a really really cool person really cool person but what's hard is that because it's, it's such a misunderstood and feared almost, especially in today's climate, which is a whole, <laughs> that's a whole other podcast, yeah. <laughs> especially what's going on right now in Utah. Oh my word. Um, that's just, it's really, really hard to navigate this and try to help people wrap their brain around it. And our families have been phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. Incredible. I think it yeah. was your brother and one of my brothers who were the first to call Jess by the preferred name and pronoun of Jace. And they have been very, very good about it. And my brother and a boy, you know, as we're playing kickball as a family. And it just seemed like a pretty easy transition. And if there were 
if there was any kind of confusion or certain feelings about it, they've been so good to just keep those quiet and in well, one one thing that helped was it wasn't a night and day thing. It yeah. was Jace really took his time to figure out the I loved the reference to language and having a new vocabulary to describe what he's been feeling. And I, I think that really uh gives to his credibility on on really working through these things and and everyone recognizes that and yeah. so our family has been wonderful it's been really great um thanks for sharing more about um jess and just this journey to understand sexual orientation and then gender identity and listeners you're listening because you're curious so i'm probably not teaching preaching and preaching the crier but i just think I talk about the trap of unearned opinions. We just shouldn't develop opinions about groups of people until we meet with lots of people in that group. And that includes transgender people. Um, I think I saw a statistic that about 30% of Americans know firsthand somebody that's trans. And yet, you know, there's a lot of opinions about trans people. And um the church's website's pretty kind about trans people. Elder Rasband's quote's very empathetic understanding. It's not a quote that's saying this is an ideology or this is just a phase or this is, um, it's just full of empathy and understanding and listening. And that doesn't mean the church is at the finish line in this place, but the church is, at least in that statement, is not trying to invalidate um, the reality of trans people. Um, and sometimes ideology is driving our beliefs, our political ideology. And I just invite us to let the people in the groups we're trying to form opinions about inform us about that group of people. I, this is just a beautiful family love story. Um, to hear about, you know, just your journey. Um, I think you may have put this in the leading saints, but some people would say, well, this is a what a trial you're going through. You've got this kind of the worst thing that could happen to an LDS family. I'm putting words at other people's mouths. You've probably heard you've now got three LGBTQ kids. And some people would say, well, this isn't really a trial. These are terrific kids, high functioning, wonderful, great members of our family. The trial is to try to help them find their way in the church. Um, I don't know if that resonates with you. Um, I was one of those <laughs> people that sat and judged. <laughs> I would look at a family like ours and go, wow, what did, what did they step into, <laughs> you know, and, you know, what, what caused, what caused all that almost, you know, just so naive and judgmental, but uh, just, you know, it, it, it is interesting when we stop and, and actually talk, to the the person and the individual as opposed to look as at a group or as them or they and really get to know the individual how things change and i i have to say i've changed drastically um i can imagine some of the thoughts and judgments that i made 10 15 years ago that are almost the exact opposite now and it's come from living in it and wrestling with it and coming to understand 
that things aren't always cookie cut, that there, there are different things happening with different people. And what works for me may not work for the next person. And, and just to give each other latitude and a lot, a lot more room for me to clumsily walk down this path and then let my brothers and sisters around me have their room to be clumsy too. Yeah. I liked um, some of the things you said, both of you, but I'm going to go back to something that Jen said, sort of people said, well, you helped your kid quit their mission. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm thinking, well, I think you both helped keep your kid alive. And I think, Maybe a generation ago, we'd sort of outsource all decisions about our kids to the church and church leaders. And I'm not sure that's our doctrine. I think parents, you know, everything I've read is maybe culturally we've done that. But I think everything we've read is parents are the primary, you know, have primary responsibility for children. The church is a support organization for that. So I love your kind of courage, um, Jan and I think maybe moms get a little more, at least in our family, a little more revelation for what's going on with their kids than dads do. Maybe that's not true of every family, but it's a little true of our family. It's it's kind of true in our family. So, and sometimes we don't quite always value a woman's voice um, in these situations. We might look to the dad to sort of know what to do. And I'm not saying that's what happened here, but I just, I think that part of your story is really courageous and really brave. And you just, and, you know, you created a safe place for your kids and you opened up conversations that they may not be willing. I don't think you caused your kids to same-sex date because you opened that door for them. I think that door was open to them once they realized they weren't straight. Um, and I just think, I don't think you enabled them. I think you just became a safe person to walk with them because you're willing to have that conversation. And then they could continue to open up as much as possible about the realities of their lives, um, your LGBTQ kids. So I think it's really good parenting, um, even though you're going to get some flack a little bit, kind of mentioned it. Um, I think it's really good parenting. And um, I think you recognize that you're trying to keep your kids alive and you're trying to keep them maybe at least connected to God and a relationship with God and keep your family circled together and recognizing, I don't think any of these three kids attend church, but I think, you know, you've got three, um, all five from what I know, really remarkable kids. Are you okay with that, Jen? I kind of put a little words in your mouth and Josh, I don't know if you want to talk more about that or I've got a different question for you. No, I think that's a perfect summary. And as, as you did say that all three of them and um, have left our three adult kids. And I go back to this, my patriarchal blessing, my kids will never stray. I have come to see that in completely different language. Um, It's, they are loving, they are compassionate, they're service oriented, they're kind, they're polite most of the time. Um, they are contributing members of society. They, they care for one another. They, you know, I think a good, a sign of a really good person is how they treat their grandparents. And they're Hmm. all just so tender with their grandparents. And, um, they do have a light about them. And I think that's why we're not afraid while there's still some pain. And especially as we support 
other loved ones, other family members as they progress through, you know, those rites of passage through the church, going on their own missions, going to the temple, getting sealed and all of these things. There is quite a bit of pain that comes up for us that we have to work through. But again, as we keep the think celestial theme in our minds, it's it's all going to be okay. Things are going to work it's their self, themselves out. And we don't know how that's going to look, but yeah. we're... My, my biggest um, desire, starting with Aiden when he was a teenager and and stopped going to church, was that he found his relationship with his Heavenly Father and with the Savior and kept nourishing it, whatever that looked like. And I was open to that changing, um, whether that meant going to a different church or or whatever, you know. And that's really helped me. I think it's helped us, but that you, Jenny's always been a little, a few steps ahead of me on all this stuff, but it's really helped me to, um, to just surrender to how they're going to walk this path. And I'm just there to love and support them. And my biggest thing was that they, they continue to have a connection with their their heavenly father even though that that label that name may change because for a time it was the universe or mother earth mother earth yeah. uh, even at a time i don't think it was i think avoid avoid period but they the wonderful thing is as jenny and i have continued just to express our love and concern for them and try to, to support them. Um, but also, uh, encourage them to connect with their source, whatever that looks like. I, I put on that my heavenly father and my heavenly parents and my savior, Jesus Christ. But if you want to put a different label, I'm totally cool with that. I'm fine with it. And slowly I'll, I could say all three of them now, they have they've got a good connection whether some of them are back to its heavenly father and heavenly mother and their savior jesus christ and some it's just uh their their source there is a entity out there um i'm just grateful that they're connecting and that they're they're feeling that because ultimately for one i'm not going to be around uh on every moment to be there to to hold them and to take care of them. But I know that father will. And he doesn't he doesn't care what they call him. He just wants a connection with all of us. He wants a connection with his kids, just like I do. And that's, that's comforting to me. And uh, that's what's been really important to me is to help to translate that, help to navigate that with my kids, for them to keep that connection. And I, I know it hasn't always been there, but I'm grateful 
uh, as much as it has been. Another really good segment. And as I've listened to these stories and recognize that for a lot of LGBTQ youth, they feel the pain that you're talking about, their kids' pain. And so they falsely conclude that God doesn't love them because society doesn't love them. They don't love them. And so um, often one of the things parents can foster, which isn't a perfect formula, but if parents love their LGBTQ kids and aren't trying to change them and love them, and I think, and this is sort of a research project because I'm a research mind, I think that is more likely that they're going to love themselves and allow and recognize that God loves them and doesn't look at them as a mistake. And so I think this deconstruction and reconstruction that's happened is a part of your beautiful family love story. Now, not all families have that. I'm aware that there's a lot of parents of LGBT kids that don't believe in God anymore. And don't be hard on yourself. (laughs) It's still up to their agency and their choices. But I do think there's some principles here in in Josh and Jen's story of role models role modeling love and acceptance and not trying to change somebody that helps them accept themselves and take that shame out of them. But I don't think is born with them. I think it's society induced. Um, And then they can believe that maybe God loves me too. And then they can have this relationship. And I love you give them space to name that the way they want to name that. Um, That's just to me, grace. A couple questions. One is, I don't know if you want to talk about Chelsea. Um, cause that's a whole different story. Um, yeah, I think your second child who's somewhere in the LGBTQ spectrum, um, I'd like to ask, so you can talk about that and Josh, you can be thinking about this question. Um, it's a tender question and it's maybe something you felt, I'm not sure, but it may be something other local leaders are feeling that, you know, I'm supposed to be kind of the role model here. I'm the bishop, I'm the young women's president, I'm the stake release society president, and I've got kids not going to church, and I don't have all the answers, and things are kind of falling apart, and am I a fraud? I'm a fake, you know? I don't know if you've—I don't want to put words or thoughts in your mind, um, but you might talk to people that just are in a leadership position, and they've got really hard family things, and, you know, finding peace in that. You can be an effective local church leader and still have really difficult things going on in your family. So those are two things, Chelsea and how you felt as a leader. Okay. I'll talk about (laughs) Chelsea and then we'll turn it over to you. So with Chelsea, um, while we didn't recognize any kind of signs, you know, looking back, there was nothing that would indicate, um, her being bisexual, which, you know, that just is often what happens. And I, you know, there's this term of bi erasure that we don't give it as much attention. And so, because it's something like, well, you could choose not to, you know, you could just be with a guy, but unless your soulmate, you feel like is a woman, then it's, it could be a problem. I think with Chels, the best way I can describe her is she is just this effulgent spirit. She's gregarious and wants to live life to the fullest. There was a popular term a while back called indigo child, and we have an indigo child. She has just always been this way. And I think as she entered into adolescence and in dating, she realized that, oh, hey, I like girls too. You know, I think she was really, really boy crazy, which is why, what? 
you like girls too. It was always boys. But then just coming in to the dating world and realizing, you know, I find companionship and, you know, a full relationship with both sexes. And so it was hard because I was kind of of that, because we didn't see the signs. It was a little bit more difficult to really wrap my brain around that one. But she's just her own person and has her own experience. And she gets to explore and live her life, especially now that she's an adult. You know, I we just strive to be happy for her and the things that are going well and the way that she is thriving. She's thriving in so many ways. Again, it looks so much different. You know, we we had a certain idea of where her life was going to end up as well. And it's just, it doesn't look that way anymore. And to be flexible with those things and above everything else, just let her know how much she's loved and, and valued and um, come as you are. What would you say to parents? And I'm going to stay with Chelsea just a second that, you know, have a kid that's come out as bi and, and might think, well, a bunch of her high school friends are bi or family members are bi or society's talking about this. So this is just kind of a phase. Uh, you may have felt that. Um, you may not have felt that. What would you just say to parents that are thinking, I sort of get a totally gay kid, you know, 100% wired gay kid. Um, I can even maybe understand somebody that's had long-term gender dysphoria, but the bi is sort of like, is that just sort of a trendy thing that I should ignore? Any thoughts on that for other parents? Uh, I'll tackle that first. Okay. For, for a long time, um, I honestly thought all of this was a choice. And so I didn't understand it. And so I, the, the, I got a better understanding with just my son when I thought, well, what if the church was the reverse? What if to be in the church, I had to marry a man? And to get to the celestial kingdom, I had to be with a man. That just wouldn't work for me. If there is a spectrum, I'm on the far side <laughs> of one side or the other. There isn't like this, uh, well, I could make, it be, make that work. And when I started to think about it that way, it, it wasn't a choice. This is the way I'm made. So perhaps this is the way that my son is made. Perhaps this is the way my daughter is made. And so to me, that's opened my mind up to this spectrum that allows for Chelsea to live somewhere on that spectrum and just to be open to it. You know, I still don't understand it, but it helps me that thinking of it that way helps me reconcile i'm kind of an analytical mind so i gotta have some kind of construct that helps me define it and then i can better live with it that's what's helped me yes yeah. yeah i think we're in agreement there it's and i i do think that this generation is far more open to possibilities and i and i hear I hear the argument. I hear the opposition and the fear of this is a social contagion. We need to bring back the values and let's just squash any ideas of even talking about it at early age because that's a form of grooming and we're indoctrinating. But what I will say is if we really want to talk about indoctrinating, man, we tried really hard to indoctrinate cisgender 
heterosexual kids. I mean, that was the program. That was the plan. And they just had their own. They had their own wiring. They agenda, whatever it is, you know, that can have a negative connotation, the gay agenda, which is really just, they want to be happy. And, you know, often they want to find their own relationships and have all the same rights and privileges that we as heterosexual couples have. Um, so I, I just think that there is some more flexibility and whether people want to deem it as immoral and just, oh, you're going along with fad. What I think is that, okay, so maybe it is a fad, but someone like me, no, it's not any part of me is is being anywhere on the homosexual spectrum. I I am straight and that's how I'm made. And so just because people around me are talking about it is not going to make me want to go out and experiment, you know, just because I can or there's more leniency. So I think we we really do have to believe our kids you know, and what they're talking about. And I know that can be very difficult. I, I know, especially with the body dysmorphia, um, often it can be confused with gender dysphoria. And I know there are those kids that are changing a lot of times. What we have to look at is there's something that's not sitting well with this child. And if we can be patient through, you know, whether working things out, they will be able to find where they fit. and to fight them on it often just creates more problems. I think um, still continue to teach values and honesty and integrity and authenticity. You know, all of those principles are so important, but to tell somebody they're not who they are. And I think that's a lesson for all of us. And, you know, Josh and I kind of going to the trans thing, when we found out we had three kids who were, you know, gay or bisexual we thought well hey at least we don't have a trans kid and i know that's hard for some people to hear but that's where we were because we knew trans was a whole different ball game and lo and behold you know lauren's like well hang on <laughs> we're getting there we're baby stepping you <laughs> so but it's it's really boy has it changed our language and um to just believe them fighting them on it was only pushing them away and you know we weren't a safe place for them and so again just to trust them have their own autonomy they're going to figure this out so one thing that i think really helped was uh, we gave space for talking and and to share feelings and things like that but then also we gave time like when there were times where we asked our kids if if they wanted to make a big decision. It's like, can can we sit with this for a little bit? Like when you asked Jace to fast and pray about coming home. It's like, it's not immediately, no, we need to make a decision right now. It was giving it some time. And I think that really helped with me significantly because I, I needed time to process through these things. And it's it's been really good and for our kids to, I mean, both sides, even though sometimes I want to make a decision right now and get it done. But in this scenario, it's, it's been the time um, to process through and, and to, it's really helped. I love that. And I love 
you know, I, I wrote down the word communication as one of your family values. It seems some of the kids come out and they, I hear stories where they want to keep talking about the parents really don't want to. <laughs> um, and I think, and then they just, that just creates shame. So I think, and you probably would say, we haven't been perfect on this, but I think you've been willing to talk about it. You know, you talked earlier as, even as a father, as a bishop, you're talking to Aiden on an ongoing basis, trying to, you know, talk about his journey. So there seems to be a really important principle of an effective family as you're talking about hard things that make us uncomfortable and we don't know the answers, but I think that's part of your family love story. And I think time, I think that's a really good thing too, as you're communicating well enough that there's an understanding of we're walking this road together at times let's take time before making key decisions so that's helpful for all of us um now i'm now i'm back to i'm going to call you bishop for a second you're not a bishop anymore <laughs> but i don't know if you felt any of these feelings like this is you know i'm supposed to be kind of the role model family and things are kind of falling apart at home and maybe a sister question is do you think it actually made you a better bishop because you just developed more of an understanding and more empathy? And I sense you're a pretty thoughtful guy anyway, but do you feel like in some ways this experience helped you be a better church, local church leader? Uh, well, first of all, I'd say, please don't use the Rollins family as a model. <laughs> <laughs> well, we set ourselves up for, I didn't, I did Okay. For the record, the day he was called, I'm like, uh-uh. I'm going to make sure you didn't sustain him. No perceived pedestals here. I mean, whatever we assign to the roles of bishops and their families is all kind of ridiculous anyway. Right. They're just people who are willing and hopefully doing enough right in their life to be worthy well, of that. Call. I know for a fact that you can be very unqualified and be called to that position yeah. because I, I was called there. So that's a fact. I was very unqualified. And still was called. Um, I think uh, there were several events and experiences that allowed me to to learn and to grow and develop and be more prepared to be a better father, a better husband, and even a better bishop. And then during my service. Uh, Continually humbled and uh, recognizing that this is an ongoing process and, and ever will be, uh, that I will be uncomfortable, that I will be put in these situations where uh, I'm learning and growing. And I'm looking back, I'm grateful. In the middle of it, I'm not so grateful. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I've, I've learned a ton and I, I think is, uh, and this is just my opinion, obviously, this is Josh uh, speaking from what I've learned from, but I honestly think, uh, first of all, any leaders, men, women, and whatever roles they're playing in service, that people are trying to do the best that they can. In general, I think we're all clumsy and dumb at times and we make mistakes, but we're all trying to do the best we can. And and uh, I'm grateful for those that that give of time and service, especially 
in the service of their God. And I'm, I'm grateful for, for that opportunity to, to serve in those capacities. And specifically as Bishop, I found it very effective and, and, and helpful to be in a space of, I don't have all the answers, but I know who does. And to always uh, try, try to try, because to strive um, to be in that space. I wasn't always in that space, but that was always something I strived to. And to be open to inspiration, even in the very moment that I'm speaking. Um, as I've had that experience, as a missionary, as a father, as a husband, and, and as a bishop, um, that that does happen. You know, if we're open to it and we're striving to be close to Father, that He will give us even in that very moment. So, as leaders, I think that's critical as we're visiting and serving and and uh, trying to help uh, all kinds of people and all kinds of families that. Uh, as in that capacity, we have the opportunity to receive that revelation that is different than maybe what the handbook says. And I, I have several times where um, I'm sitting there and it, the instruction I'm being given in my head is different than what's in the handbook. And it's, it's important to be confident when we receive that communication from father to move forward with confidence, not confidence in my abilities or, or, or what I, what I'm saying or my opinion, but what father wants in that moment. Uh, and then the rest of the time, be humble, be, be in the space of learning and growing and be coachable and um, say, sorry. Yeah, be willing to, hey, when I step, when I make a mistake and step on someone's toes, recognize it, be accountable for it, and apologize and and say, you know, go through that. I'm so sorry. And, but, uh, you know, we're going to, we're, we're all going to stumble, like I said, and we're all going to make mistakes. But I think as leaders, recognize that even as a leader, you're, we're going to make mistakes and, and we're going to nail it at times. And the times you nail it, it's because father, <laughs> father was there to correct it and make it good. You know, take whatever I had to offer and make it even better. And um, it was hard as a bishop to, to be like, yeah, Aiden's not coming anymore. And I'm working with him. And uh, that was a beautiful experience for me to work with my son and uh, with all my kids, actually. I mean, it was it was nice, but um, I think we we can get hung up on what it looks like and worry about that way too much and give that way too much weight and just pay more attention to being kind and being in tune with what, pay more attention to what 
what would Father do? What would the Savior do in this moment? And I think if that's our focus, even when I screw up, uh, there's going to be a, a whole lot more empathy for my screw up and my incompetence in handling this situation than if I'm not uh, striving to have that spirit with me and to move forward. Um, but far for it to for me to give other people advice on how to <laughs> how to do things. It's like watching us a drunken man try to I love C.S. Lewis and I can't quote it, but he talked about don't judge me because of the way that I stumble and and fall on the path uh, as a drunken man. Don't judge me for the way I am a Christian. Uh, I really need to commit that to yeah, memory because I love it. <laughs> it's a really good answer. Um, I thought you'd pretty thoughtful. It reminds me of a training I went to once, listeners, where we were taught the principle. I think this was when I was a YSA bishop, the principle of exception. And basically, the, you know, we're taught to follow the handbook and we do that. Um, but then at times there's a principle of exception and that sort of comes to people that are following the handbook. It's an, it's a rare thing. It's not like a common thing, but as you talked about, you know, there were times when you felt the principle of exception was part of the personal revelation you receive as Bishop. I, I, I believe that. Um, and I think that's part of your, um, role as judge in Israel. We don't talk about that very much. It doesn't mean we go rogue and, the principal exception becomes the norm. Um, but I think that's part of the stewardship responsibility that parents and people that have as for parents and also people have stewardship responsibility for others in the church. Um, I've got a new question for you. This podcast is going a little longer, but um, there may be some out there that have got LGBTQ kids. Um, their kids have left the church um, and they want to stay in the church, but they just don't know how to. Um, and it's become so complex that they don't know a way to stay in the church. Um, so this isn't talking to parents that have left to come back. It's more talking to parents that want to stay and want to find a way to stay and maybe an authentic way to stay and deal with the com complexities of this issue and still find a way to stay. And um, I, don't, I don't know if that's kind of a, that's a, you know, a serious question <laughs> for the end of a podcast. When you might, but do you, would you have a, either of you have some thoughts on that? Might be helpful for others. Oh yeah, we have thoughts. And <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a lot of back and forth. I mean, I would say that it's gotten easier since, uh, especially since all three of our adult kids have, you know, graduated from being in the youth programs because that was so part of the pain you know feeling like especially Aiden he doesn't belong and that was a real source of pain every week so I mean there are some more superficial type of reasons we still have two younger children at home um, 13 and 15 who we do believe that religion it can be a very, uh, it can be a protective factor against a lot of different issues in the world. And so we recognize that we want them to have their community. Um, 
we want them to stay connected and and to learn those things and stay close to their higher power, their heavenly parents and Jesus. And um, so those things are all part of it. But then I have to think of, well, what happens when they're out of the house? You know, I don't know. Lots of things could happen. It depends where we're at. But if I were to take the feelings that I have right now about the church, the organization and the gospel, I I believe I have a testimony. I, I believe in the Book of Mormon. I believe in living prophets. I believe in continued revelation. I believe in the temple. We we were just there last week and there's so much beauty. While there is still pain and that dissonance, um, I think we still believe more than we doubt. And so that's what we're holding on to. And again, trust that things will work themselves out and, and continue to have those conversations with our kids. So far, we have been fortunate in that we haven't been met with that kind of ultimatum. Well, you need to choose between me and the church because it's so painful. I, I hope and pray it never comes down to that. I think as we honor each other's spaces and give latitude that there is just this more mutual respect. And there are some things that we, we've we just decided, okay, we're not going to talk about these types of things because they might be harmful. But to our knowledge, our kids are pretty open about a lot of different things. Like when, when Josh gave his talk a couple months ago, all three of the adult kids were there. That's cool. And yeah, they wanted to be there and support. And That's even really though there cool. might be some things that could be hurtful, they they just, again, translate or tune out or whatever, you know. And I never want to take that for granted, though, to check in. How are you doing? If this is too hard, you, you don't need to come. Um, but so far, so good. I hope so anyway. I mean, I guess you could bring them on the podcast and see how they're feeling yeah. about it all. <laughs> I think uh, for me, it's uh, that's an interesting question because, you know, we've made a lot, we've made a lot of friends um, in the church and out of the church. And there are times where I feel like uh, mm -hmm. we get the message that you're not far enough in. You're not far enough out of the church and we almost get criticized from, oh. from both sides. And, and I, I really feel, uh, that wrestle, that tug of war. And it's, and it's an interesting thing. And I, and I feel that internally, um, but ultimately, and this is what I've communicated with our, our kids for a long time is, um, I check in with them. How do you, how do you feel about God and how do you feel or, or your higher power? And, um, are you okay with me where I'm at? I want to make, and I, and I make it clear to them that I'm not going to church because I fear I'm going to hell. I'm not going to church because I feel like my neighbors will judge me or, or whatever. I'm going to church because I feel that's where Father wants me. And I'm I'm striving to do that. I'm striving to do what Father wants me to do because I feel like it makes me a better person, a better man, a better husband, a better father. So I hope that doesn't offend you. And this is a conversation I've 
have it with my kids, but I almost feel like we need to have it with my friends too. <laughs> it's like, I know my family looks like it's a disaster, but we're really doing okay the best that we can. Is that all right if we're still friends? <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, I just sometimes feel like it's, uh, well, you're not far enough out. You need to leave and, or you're not far enough in. Your kids don't come you're anymore. You're dangerous, sir. Yeah, and just, I don't know. I just uh, I think for those parents that are struggling, it, it is a wrestle. It is hard. And um, again, for, for me, the biggest thing is to listen to father. And if he says you need to take a break, well, I, I trust that he's telling you that for a good reason. And if he says, hey, I need you to stay and build bridges and to do some work for me here, then listen to that because you'll you're you're gonna have some great experiences and opportunities. And no one's gonna know that uh better than you. And the more that each of us strive to have that relationship with our heavenly parents and with our savior, I think a the better the world will be. So it's it's just a it's a good thing to do. And so that's what we're striving to do. And and just again to be kind and courteous to all of our clumsiness as we go. And again, don't use us as an example, please. <laughs> so really you're really thoughtful and I'm just so deeply moved and I think of you know, families that have LGBTQ kids and if if they're out of the church and the parents are kind of walking with them, I think, you know, the, the Ward family, and you didn't say they weren't doing this, I don't want to infer that, but I think in the Ward family keeps needs to be asking about the kids, not in the context of going to church or not, but are they going to school? What's What are they up to? Use Jace's name. And I just think parents need an outpouring of love if they've got an LGBTQ kid and they don't need and you haven't said this, they don't need to feel like their ward family's looking over their shoulder, judging how they're parenting their kid who's no longer going to church. Church should just feel like a balm um, of love and support and no judging. And and I think that's part of expanding the borders of Zion. So this border, you talked about this tension, the church expands it so that you feel less of this tension and feel more love and support for the way you're loving and supporting your kids. Um, I also thought of, and I hope that's okay. If there's anything you want to come back to, I'll give you a second. I've also, we've talked about this a lot, listeners, about the gathering of Israel. And if you're a frequent podcast listener and you heard me talk about this, but your LGBTQ kids are Israel. Um, and, you know, when we talk about gathering, I think of missionaries going out and finding people, but I think of our own LGBTQ members because they're Israel and they need to be gathered. But as Claire Dalton pointed out in about 10 or 15 episodes, something to be gathered has had a prior scattering. And so I think we need to be cognizant of the scattering that's occurred with our LGBTQ members. Um, the unkind comments, the things that, you know, you were aware that your kids have heard growing up. And I think we can just mature and recognize that within our voice, they're probably is LGBTQ people in our family, in our political circle, in our church circle, in our social circle, and they need to be filled with kind things about them. 
Um, it creates a safe place for us, though, that people can open up. So I love the idea that we're called to be gatherers. We're not called to be sifters. And that isn't our job. And you do such a great job of that. You've heard me talk about this. You've heard me talk about this concept, listeners, of Apollo 13 and Gene Kratz. And and he's the space commander, is, if that's the right term, as everything's going sideways with Apollo 13. And um, everybody around him is talking about all the problems. And he stands up and says, excuse me, this is going to be our finest hour. And I would say this is what's happening with the Rollins family. I think, yeah, your your space mission didn't land on the moon, but I think it's an incredible success story. And it's different than you thought it would be. But I think it's a beautiful family love story. And I think it's your finest hour. This is a long hour, you know, since Aiden came out and it continues. So this is a five-year plus hour. But I think it's a beautiful family love story. And I think it's it, it's been painful and you've made mistakes, but I think you've relied on the things you know how to do and you've done those. And I think it's just a beautiful family love story. And the, the heavenly parents that I know and love have given you these LGBTQ kids because you know you'd love them and you'd help them and you'd support them. And um, I just think this is a beautiful family love story. And I'm just so deeply moved listening to both of you. You really complement each other well. I'm not a therapist or a marriage counselor, but you have different gifts just watching you. And, you know, I think some of the marriages that I see the best are when they're just a little different and they're, but they complement each other in a way that I think of Elder Cook's universe, unity and diversity complement. And I think Zionists were unified in purpose, but we may have differences and use those differences to be able to bless more people's lives than we could in sameness. Um, in the show notes, we're going to link to um, their Lift a Love story. If you want to read it, it's from April of 2021, so it's changed. We'll also list to their Leading Saints article that's more current. Um, but I want to give you as much time as you want to share any anything that I've said that maybe I didn't. I put some words in your mouth again, but anything you want to just share in closing. Uh, you made it sound really good. I, I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think you've summarized some things really beautifully. I, I love that Apollo 13 reference. That's something I'm going to be pondering quite a bit. And yeah, there's just some, while we still worry, there's a lot of uncertainty. You know, I think we're not out to tell anybody how how to do it, how they should do things in their own families. And I know everybody's story is different. You're going to have people who who decide that they are just going to choose to be single and celibate and others who might choose a mixed orientation marriage, some who never act on transitioning socially, medically, if they are dealing with um, trans or non-binary, you know, there's just so many facets and everybody has their own unique agency. Um, But I just, I go back to just what our gut tells us about our family and um even though we still have a tendency to want to control some things i have to hold on to the moments that you know christmas day when we sat around for two hours just uh sharing the gifts that we saw in one another wow and it, it that to me was our celestial that's our heaven is that connection here um 
and the healing that it brought because there had been a little bit of tension over the holidays with different issues and to have them just all sit for two hours and just share of their heart. And there was just such a peace that, man, if that's what heaven's like, sign me up. (laughs) You know, I'm really grateful that we have moments like those. And um, so again, just changing the way we thought it was going to look and uh, be open that father has a heck of a lot more to teach us. Yeah. I think the only thing that I'd like to end with was uh, looking back. If I could tell something uh, to myself, my younger version would be uh, ask more questions and really, really listen, and uh, and then be be open that things look different because I think that's what causes a lot of uncomfortable. Is just uh, it looks different than what I planned, or it looks different than what I think is normal, and uh, just be open to being a little different, and or that it's going to look a little different, and. And it won't be such a rough ride, you know, (laughs) if I had been more open to those things. But I'm grateful for uh, where I am Um, and just uh, I'm seeking the the peaceful parts and trying to get to those points faster. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, it's been an honor visiting with you. Uh, This is wonderful. I'm kind of a starstruck. Um, <laughs> it's kind of cool talking to you. <laughs> so. Well, the cool part of this podcast is the brave people like you that come share their stories. And I'm just honored to provide this platform. Um, so thank you, um, Jen and Josh Rollins, R-O-L-L-I-N-S. Um, Jay's Chelsea and Aiden, I don't know if you'd ever listen to this podcast, but I think you're awesome. And your parents have clearly communicated that to our listeners that you are awesome and you are loved. And this whole idea that we may feel in the past that having an LGBTQ kid or realizing we're LGBTQ and ourself, that that's a bad outcome or undesirable thing. It's just not true. Parents that have LGBTQ kids, you know, there's fear of that, but once they sort of have this as part of their family. Most parents think this has been a good, is a good thing for our family. And, and that hour you, that couple hours you talked about at Christmas time is celestial. And that's what, that's just beautiful moments. And so we'll sign off. Um, This is Josh and Jen Rollins and Richard Osler signing off on a really tender spirit filled episode of listen, learn and love.